I'll tell you, joy is the key to a proper attitude in life. And brethren, we are all going to face all kinds of trials and struggles. It's not all a picnic. It's not all a, it's not all a hallelujah shouting match. I know that, friend. But joy is not created by possessions. Joy is not created by positions. Joy is created by a person, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And a good dose of holy joy would do us all well. And I'm not talking about silly putty religion here, brother. I'm talking about something that comes from being rightly related to God and being in the presence of God. I believe of all the people alive on planet Earth today, we should not be wringing our hands and worrying about the future and worrying about the end of the world and worrying about this and worrying about that. I believe of all the people in the world, we should have the joy of God in these latter days unparalleled to the rest of our society. Well, I'm ready to jump right in today. Uh, I've got a lot to say and a little bit of time to say it in. So if you can give me a few minutes, I want to share some things that the Lord has dropped into my spirit as we begin to look at this incredible letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. So Paul was writing to the church that was in Philippi, the city of Philippi. And Paul wasn't just a missionary but Paul was actually a church planter. And so here's what the Apostle Paul would do, obviously after his radical conversion experience with God. Paul would, would go into these major metropolitan cities and he would plant Jesus communities. We call them churches. So if the Apostle Paul were alive today, he, he would go to places like, like Atlanta and like D.C. and like New York City. And he would plant Jesus communities in these major, major communities so that people would know that Jesus is the answer and the hope of the world. And I love this. And, and if you know anything about me, this is my heart too. I, I hope that as God continues, continues to raise leaders and raise money, that we can go into major cities, both in the United States and around the world. We can plant these Jesus communities and we can flip those communities upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, anybody with me on that? It's why, it's why we have one church in two locations, because we believe that every city, every state, every county needs the hope of the world, and that hope is Jesus. Now, now the church at Philippi was Paul's first missionary church plant in Europe. And you can actually read about the launch of this church at Philippi in the book of Acts, chapter number 16. And Paul had developed a deep love and affection for the people at Philippi. He, he loved the people and he loved the city. And he knew a little bit about the city because you, you know this, but he actually spent some time in a Philippian prison. If you read Acts chapter 16, you'll learn about two individuals, these guys named Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas, they were locked up in prison together. They, they were beaten they, they were put in chains and they were left there until the trial was official and they were anticipating execution. And this prison was a Philippian prison. And so they're locked up in this Philippian prison. And the Bible says that in the middle of being locked up about the midnight hour, these two guys began to sing some worship songs. 
And they started giving God praise. They started giving God glory. They started worshiping the Lord. And here's what your Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse 26, that suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the very foundations of that prison at Philippi were shaken. And at once, all of the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Come on, church. That's a great place to say amen right there. So Paul had a little bit of experience of the city of Philippi. And, and, and in this letter that he wrote to them, he wrote to them for many reasons, but one of them very practical. So the church at Philippi sent to Paul, when Paul was locked up, one of the members of their church, a guy by the name of Epaphroditus. And they sent Epaphroditus to bring money to the apostle Paul to support him while he was in jail. How many of you got a friend? Say amen. How many of you got a friend that will give you money? That's a really good friend. So Epaphroditus came to bring his friend Paul some money on behalf of the local church. And as Epaphroditus was getting ready to leave and return back to the city of Philippi, Paul said, hey, I want you to take this letter with you. And I want you to give it to the church, give it to the people. And in this letter, he writes them a big thank you. But he also writes some words to encourage them and to mature them. And so when you read these four chapters that make up the book of Philippians, Paul writes about one specific theme, one specific idea that is so incredibly relevant to you and I today. And if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do that through the whole series because there's so much to learn, here's the theme. Paul says that you and I can have joy no matter what. Now, I want to I say that again, and this time when I say it, I want you to respond as if you were walking through something in your own personal life and you knew that God was able to give you joy and that that joy would be your strength. Are you ready? So Paul says that no matter what you're going through, no matter the circumstances, no matter the difficulties, no matter your problems, no matter your diagnosis, no matter your financial status, that you can have joy no matter what. Come on, church. He says, nope, no matter what life throws at you, and how many of you can testify that life can throw curveballs at time? He says, no matter if it's raining or no matter if the sun is shining, no matter if the birds are singing or if it's dark and uncertain, you can have joy. You can have joy. And as a matter of fact, in this very short book, it's, it's a couple of pages in most Bibles. I mean, you could read all four chapters in about 15 minutes Paul mentions the word joy or rejoice 16 times. In this few pages that he writes this letter, thanking them for the gift that was sent on behalf of the church at Philippi and, and then encouraging them and maturing them, he talks about joy or rejoicing, which, by the way, you can never rejoice until you first live in joy. And so he talks about this idea of joy or to rejoice 16 times. Now, there's some irony in that. And I told you what the irony was. He's writing while he's in prison. He's locked up, y'all. 
and yet he's still testifying about the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. And that through a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter what happens on the outside of you, whatever those circumstances are, you can still have joy. And one more little nugget about the, the book of Philippians. It's known as one of the prison epistles. And here's why. Because there are a number of books in the New Testament, letters written by the Apostle Paul, that when he wrote them, he wrote them from prison. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those are known as the prison epistles. So those four books, those four letters, Paul wrote from being chained up in a prison. And yet he still wrote with the optimism and his confidence and certainty that no matter what, you can have joy. I want to show you Paul's journey real quick before we dive completely into chapter 1. About 10 or 12 years after Paul planted the church at Philippi, he is arrested in Jerusalem. He's arrested for preaching the gospel. And they arrest him and they take him to Caesarea. Once he arrives at Caesarea, they put him on a boat ride across the Mediterranean Sea. Once he arrives at what they believe to be his final destination, he ends up in a Roman jail cell. So he's writing this letter from Rome in prison. Now, you need to know something about prison in the first century, especially in Rome. It's going to be a lot different than prison is today. There is no cable. There is no outside playtime. Nobody is checking on you to make sure that you got your three meals each day. A first century Roman prison was literally underground, as if it were a cave. No electricity, no utilities. And on top of that, if you were in a Roman prison, you would be chained up and shackled to a Roman soldier, to a Roman guard. This was to provide maximum security. So this is what Paul was going through. And then on top of that, Paul had this uncertainty about his future because he believed that the next, the next sign of his escape or his freedom was going to be the way of execution. He knew that the only way he was going to see the outside of that prison was when they were going to execute him. And I want you to see what he writes. In this prison, under those circumstances, knowing what his fate could be, Paul writes these words. These are the first few words of Philippians chapter 1. He says this. I thank my God. Let's pause right there, can we? How many of you would say these would not be my first words if I were in prison and they were going to kill me? If I were writing a letter in prison, I would be like, somebody get me Judge Judy right now. Somebody call my mama, call a lawyer. I'm, I'm innocent. I would say I am innocent. I am not guilty. I did nothing wrong. Somebody come and help me. They're not feeding me properly. I ain't watched Sports Center in two weeks. Come on now. Help me out. But Paul says, I thank my God. And church, you need to know this. These four words 
are the four words that will dictate the entire series because these four words are the four words that dictate the theme of the entire letter. Watch this. When we go through life's painful moments, whenever we journey through life's bad days, and can I tell you that you will have bad days, it is the human nature for us to respond by being upset, by, by being angry, by panicking, or by blaming God, or even, even crying. But, but what if instead, what if instead on the next bad day you had, or the next bad report you got, or the next circumstance that didn't turn out like you thought it would, what if instead of crying and being angry and panicking and blaming God, we just lifted our hands and we say, you know what, I thank you, God. I, I choose to live in Joy, And here's why, and I'm trying to be careful, but I believe what Paul was saying through this letter is this. One of the best indicators of a mature Christian is how you and I respond to our bad days. Paul is telling the church at Philippi, if you want to be known as a mature believer, then we'll see that on how you respond to when bad days happen. And can I tell you, you are going to have painful moments. We will have bad days. Somebody say, be positive, Pastor JC. Okay, I am positive. You're going to have a bad day. These days will come. But instead of responding out of our human nature, what if instead we said, you know what, I choose joy. Both campuses on the count of three say that word joy with me. One, two, three. Joy. Try it again. One, two, three. Joy. That should be liberating for some of you walking through some of the darkest moments of your life right now. That when you are in Christ, you have joy. And you can be full of joy. Paul goes on and he says this, he says, I thank my God every time that I remember you. And then he says this, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Can I, can I be honest? All of my prayers are not always prayed with joy. And he says, in all of my prayers, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he says, 10, 11, 12 years ago when we started this church, all the way up till now, we've been in partnership, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on. And many of you, if you grew up in church, if you've read the Bible, you know verse number six. He says, being confident of this. So he says, I am absolutely 100% sure of what I'm about to say. You can take it to the bank. It is an absolute fact that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, when I read these first few words in this letter, it makes me question, how can a guy who is in prison waiting to be executed, have such a positive attitude? How can he have such a joy-filled attitude? And here's why. It's because he possessed joy, not happiness, but joy, because joy supersedes happiness. Do you get that? And the good news is this. You got to have joy because not every day Will you feel happy? 
Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into chapter number one here because there's some things I want to show you. But before I do that, I want to lay a little groundwork over today and the next few, few weeks of our discussion. Because you need to know that there are fundamental differences between joy and happiness and happiness and joy. And I think many of you, you feel as though you're on this roller coaster of Christianity or this faith journey because you don't really know the difference between happiness and joy. This past Christmas, I, I did a message on joy to the world, and we talked about some of these, so this might be a refresher. But write these down. The first difference is this. Happiness is external. So that, that means this. You're happy when the things on the outside of you are great. So... So when there's good weather, well, I'm happy. But when there's bad weather, I'm not so happy. Happiness is external. So, so when my sports team is winning, I'm happy. But when my sports team is losing, every lady is about to say amen about their husband. When my sports team is losing, I am unhappy. This is why so many people at Go Church who are Redskins fans, you've had decades of depression. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here in the South, it would be all the Georgia Tech fans. Come on now. Happiness, I'm ready for college football and football in general. Anybody with me? Happiness is external, but watch this. Joy is internal. So joy is never based on what's happening on the outside or what's around you. Joy is always about what's happening on the inside. So that means this, you can have joy even in the bad days. You can have joy even in the tough days because joy is not about what's going on that you can see in the natural. It's about what God is doing on the inside of you in the supernatural. Come on, that's a great place to say amen right there. Now, let me say this about Paul. Because if you're looking to validate his credibility on this topic, I'm going to show you. Because I think some of you might think, well, Pastor J.C., how are you preaching a message like this? You have never been through some of the things that I've been through. And that might be true, but you cannot say that about the Apostle Paul. No one, and I mean no one, had ever gone through as many bad days as Paul had gone through. As a matter of fact, if you got a little free time this afternoon, why don't you flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Take about three or four or five minutes and read about his resume of bad days. He says, five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews. These are the same lashes that Jesus received except Paul received them five times. He says, three times they beat me with rods. He says, one time I was stoned. And I'm not talking recreationally. Although some of you were like, well, maybe he got a little relief. But it ain't that kind of stoning. <laughs> they literally threw stones at him. Three times he was shipwrecked. And one of those times he spent a day and a half, 36 hours floating on the open sea. Well, he finally crawls his way to the shore. And he builds himself a fire because obviously he's got hypothermia. He builds himself a fire. And wouldn't you know it, that out jumps from that stack of wood a snake and it bites him on the hand. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says that he was constantly on the move. He was always in danger. He hardly ever slept. 
He often went days and weeks without any food. I told you that his bad day resume is full. But watch what he says. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a few verses here. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, come on now, what's going on on the outside, we are wasting away. But watch, this is how he has joy. But he says, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day by day. And then he says this in verse 17. He says, for our light and momentary troubles. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and tell me that these are light and momentary troubles. Paul, these were heavy trials and tribulations, and they lasted a while. He says, no, no, no. These light and momentary troubles, they are achieving for us an eternal glory that fars outweighs them all. And he says, so, so here's what we do. We fix our eyes not on what is seen. Come on, somebody help me out today. He says, we fix our eyes not on what we can see in the natural, but what is unseen in the supernatural. Since what is seen is what? Temporary. But what is unseen is what? Eternal. Come on and give Jesus praise right there. So happiness is external. Joy is internal. The second difference is this. I'm going to give you two more. Happiness is based on circumstances. Happiness is based on the circumstances. Have you ever noticed that two different people groups can be walking through an almost identical situation, but their response and outcome is vastly different? So, and I know not two situations are identical, but they're, you've seen this before. They're, they're walking through similar situations. Let's just for conversation call it a divorce. So they're walking through a divorce, and this person's outcome is so different than that person's outcome. Why is that? Because one of them decided to take up residence in the bad day. One of them decided to move in to the regret and the pain and the disappointment. The other decided, I've got to move on. So while happiness is based on circumstances, joy is based on Christ. Our joy is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this because many of you are in a relationship with Jesus. Some of you are still kind of thinking about this faith thing and who this Jesus is and what it means to make him Lord of your life. So you need to know this. When you say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, two things are going to happen. The first thing that will happen is a supernatural thing. When you say yes to Jesus, supernaturally, he changes you into a new person. To all of those that have said yes to Jesus, who can testify to that truth? It's unbelievable that when you say yes to the Lord, the old you is gone and the new you has come forth. So the first thing that happens is something supernatural. But the second thing that happens is very natural. What? He says, not only am I going to do something supernatural, but I also want to teach you how to live your life to the fullest while you're on this earth. So when you say yes to the Lord, yes, yeah, supernatural things happen, but then we go to school. And God takes us to school to teach us some things so that we know how to face life and all of the uncertainties that this life has to throw at us. 
I'm going to do my best in this series not to jump from different chapters of Philippians. But if you'll give me a moment, I want you to see chapter 4. Because here Paul says this. He says, for I have, try it again, for I have learned to be content whatever. And there's a part of me, there's a part of me that thinks the Apostle Paul said that word whatever with a little bit of attitude. Like I have learned to be content whatever. It doesn't matter what you say. Devil, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what life throws at me. Whatever it is, I have learned. You can only learn if you're taught. Come on now. And you're taught by previous experiences. And I think this is a great place to unbutton my jacket for a moment. And just say to somebody, the God that brought you through the last trial is the same God that will bring you through this trial. Come on now. The God that brought you through the last painful moment is the same God that will bring you through this season. Ha! And if he hasn't failed you then, God will not fail you now. I wish I had about 300 people that could testify to the truth that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. Woo! You wouldn't know I grew up Baptist. I have learned to be content. Somebody say whatever. Look at your neighbor and say whatever. As a matter of fact, when you go to work on Monday, when you go to work on Monday and that coworker gives you that attitude, all you have to say, honey, is whatever. Whatever. Try it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Whatever the circumstances. I got to move. Happiness happens by chance. So, so the pro here's the problem. You can't control what happens. So happiness happens by chance, but joy happens by choice. Now let me give you some advice here because this is good. You don't get, none, none of this is up to you what happens in your life in terms of bad days and difficulties. Now, there can be self-inflicted stupid storms. That's not God's fault. It's not the devil's fault. It's your fault and you have to own it. But there is a real adversary seeking whom he may devour. But 100% of choosing joy is up to you. So, so let me give you some advice. Write this down. It's not on the TV, but watch. Don't let the things you can't control control you. Never let the things that you cannot control control you. So if you're at the mercy of the things you cannot control, I've come to bring you good news, which is the gospel. And the good news is this. There is another way. And another way is the way of Jesus Christ. And he is the joy of the Lord. It is the joy of the Lord. And I, I learned this reality. I don't have time to give you the details of every story, but let me just let me paint for you. Uh, like a six-year period of my life. So at 13 years old, my father died from a massive heart attack. Unexpectedly overnight, he was gone. As a matter of fact, yesterday was his birthday. And next month will be 25 years since I talked to my dad. So at 13, 
My mother became a single mom and a widow, and I grew up in a fatherless home. At 15, my childhood best friend committed suicide, took his life. So for years, I carried the guilt of thinking that I didn't do enough or I didn't even know what my best friend growing up was going through, and he took his life. At 17, my aunt was diagnosed with cancer. She fought as hard as she could, but the sickness overcame. And while she lost that battle to cancer, she was a Christian, so she received her eternal healing anyway. But I sat by her bedside, and I watched her breathe her last breath at 17 years old. At 19, my oldest sister died. She was an alcoholic, and she died from cirrhosis of the liver. So between 13 and 19, I lost some of the closest people that were in my life. And in that moment, I was faced with this reality. I cannot control circumstances. I, I can't control so much of what happens to me. And I learned at 19, and at 19 is when I gave my heart to Jesus. And at 19, I realized, wait a minute, bad things are going to happen because we live in a cursed earth. Bad things are going to happen because we live in bodies that are wasting away. Bad things are going to happen because this world is full of sin and disease and war and sickness and murder and hatred. Come on. It's all around us. But in the middle of that, there is a choice to be made. And at 19, I was faced with this choice, and it's the same choice that you're faced with today. It's Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life. Now choose life. So, since 19 until today... Almost 20 years, so the second chapter of my life has been dedicating to choosing life. To not let the things I cannot control control me. To not blame the unfairness and the cards that I was dealt to keep me from the potential that God has put on the inside of me. Rather to say, I can't control of all of that, but I can allow God to use it. And what the devil meant for evil, God can get good. And so today, I'm standing in a pulpit preaching the words of Jesus, which is life, to a group of people hoping that you hear me say, you don't have to let the bad days ruin you. You don't have to let the bad days define you in a negative way. God can turn it around and use you for good. Come on, church, and say amen. Yeah. And if my brief testimony isn't enough, then perhaps you can look at the Apostle Paul. This guy was locked up in prison, beaten, awaiting his execution, and yet somehow he writes one of the most positive books in the entire Bible during one of the darkest seasons of his life. And if he can do that, surely, no matter whatever it is you're walking through, you and I, we can choose joy regardless of what we're faced with today as well. Are you with me? Okay, I, gotta, I, I wish I could stay, but i got to hurry. So, so the next thing that we read in Paul's letter is this. Go to verse number 9. He starts to pray. How many of you know that prayer works? 
<laughs> so here's a little bit of advice. If you're in a bad day or you've had a bad month or you're in a bad season, pray. Now I'm going to read this to you as Paul wrote it, but this is my prayer for you, church, that your love may abound more and more. And watch, I highlighted these two words, in knowledge and depth of insight. Again, that's the supernatural and natural. That God wants to do something supernaturally and naturally. So, so that you may be able to what? Why? Because there are more bad days coming. So you've got to be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now, after this, Paul dives right in. He dives right in. After this prayer, he dives right in, and he offers us three things. And I think these three things, uh, and hear my heart, could be his secret on how he operated in joy despite all of the hell that he went through. So I'm going to give you three things that I see in chapter 1 of this letter that Paul lived, and I believe if we live, we can keep our joy and keep our sanity no matter what life throws at us. And this is the first thing that he shows us. He says, stop asking why. Now, this is so tempting, isn't it? Why, God? Why me? You ever been there? I've told the Lord, this is a big old world. Can't you pick on somebody else for once? Why, God? Why me? Here's one. Why now? Okay, so there's a better time for bad things to happen? Why? 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 And watch this. Most people can never overcome the bad things that happen to them because they're stuck in the why. You can die in your why. I remember when my father died. I was 13 years old. And I've told you this story before. I shared part of it on Easter. As soon as the news came out, I, I ran away. I didn't have anywhere to go. I guess it was just that, that natural human response. I was afraid. I was immediately angry. I was confused. Uh, if you've ever experienced death, uh, specifically unexpected death, it, it seems as though it's not real. This, this isn't real. So I think I was, just, I was just running, and finally I realized I ain't got nowhere to go. So I turned around, came back home, and I sat on this little swing on our back patio. I was yelling and screaming and crying, and now people started to come over, and eventually my mom made her way outside, and she's living in the emotion of the reality now as well, and she put her arm around me, and I said, why? Why? Why us? Why my dad? Why him? I think I even named a kid I didn't like in school. I was like, why not his dad? And this is what she said with tears flowing down her cheeks, both sides of her face. She said, JC, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, for the secret things belonging to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to you and your children forever. And she said these words. She says, you and I will never know why. And can I tell you, I know that's a hard truth. But you may never know why. 
Now, all of the bad things that happen, they are not from God. But God can take bad things and make them good things. That's Romans 8, 28. So if you're here today and you're going through some stuff, why, why, why did grandma die? Why, why didn't they recover from the sickness? Why did I end up in divorce? Why did I lose my job? Why does my car never run? Why don't we have any money? Why do I got to live in the house I live in? Why, why, why? I, the best answer I can give you is this. The world we live in is filled with sin. And God never made you one promise that your life would be perfect. And this is a huge myth about the sovereignty of God that people think, well, if I love God and I serve God, then everything should be perfect. God never made you that promise. Just because you are a Christian, just because you are a believer, does not exempt you from the bad stuff in life. As a matter of fact, you want one of the promises of God? I'm going to give it to you. John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Bad things are going to happen. Difficulties will arise. Uncertainty and circumstances will show up. But he doesn't stop there. Thanks be to God he doesn't stop there. He says, but you can take heart. Come on now. He says, take heart because I have overcome the world. Come on and give Jesus thanks right there. Let, let, me, let me say it to you like this. Let me say it to you like this. Write this down. God never promised that you and I would not have trouble. He did promise, however, that through him we would overcome it. He never said you won't have a bad day. He never said that it won't rain on your parade. But he did say when those bad days come, you can take heart that if you are in me, you will rise above the ashes. Come on now. It, it, it's like this. He says that you will be more than conquerors. And Paul knew this. Paul knew it. And he learned that no matter what happened to him, God would get the glory. No matter what happened, God would get the honor. No matter what happened, God would get the praise. He said, whatever, whatever it is, God's going to use it for good. And Paul knew, you can lock me up in a prison, but you can't keep me out of heaven. Come on now. This is why you'll never see Paul asking why. Why, God? Because he knew. He knew that God was going to use it for something far greater than Paul could even see. And he wrote that in verse number 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, the bad days, the tough days, the difficulty, the pain, all that has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel of Jesus. So even in the middle of his mess, he refused to ask why. And this is what he did. He stopped asking why, and he started asking what. Here's what he said. What are you wanting me to see through all of this? What's your purpose for my life in the middle of this? Here's a big one. When you go through your bad days, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? What do you want to reveal to me? And I'm going to tell you something. If you, start, if you stop asking the why questions and you start asking the what questions, you're going to learn real quick that God is up to something powerful, but it's 100% probably different than what your original plan was. Let me say it this way. In every bad day, there is a good God. And in every bad day, there are new 
opportunities. Just because life throws something at you doesn't mean that it's over. You've got to be optimistic. And Paul knew that. Watch the very next verse. In verse 13, he says, as a result, as a result of what? All the bad stuff. Everything they did. The beatings, the flocking, the, the arresting, all, all of it. It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He says, this is what he says. He says, so I might not be able to preach out there, but you can't stop me from preaching in here. He said, he said they, they tied me to a Roman soldier, and if I stay in here any longer, he'll get saved too. Yeah. He had a captive audience. Watch verse 14. This is what he says. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, they have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Here's what he's saying. He says, people are hearing about what's going on in the inside of this jail, and they are fired up for Jesus, baby. He says, and I think that I'm actually more productive locked up on the inside than if I were free on the outside. What if God could use your bad situation to bring glory and honor to him in a far greater way than if you never had one bad day? Would you say yes? Write this down, because I've learned this. There is always something good inside of every bad situation. There's always something good inside of every bad situation. So stop asking why. Start asking what. And then number three, watch this. Refocus on what really matters. Have you ever asked yourself what really matters in life? If you ever talk to anybody on their deathbed and you ask them what really matters, what they say might be different than what you say. When, when, when you've only got months, weeks, days, minutes to live, the perspective of your life changes, doesn't it? I don't remember watching my aunt die and saying, what really matters in life? Well, you know, my car never started. I didn't get that job that I wanted. No. You'll start to see what really matters. And all of a sudden here, about 10 years since Paul plants the church in Philippi, new churches started to spring up. I'm almost done. Give me a few more minutes. Can you do that? Okay. These new churches started to, to spring up and, and some of the new pastors in town didn't have pure motives, didn't have right motives. And watch this, tell, tell me how crazy in similarity this is, but these new churches started talking about the other church. And they started talking about the Apostle Paul in a negative way. And so word had gotten back to Paul that people were talking about his integrity that they were mocking the church at Philippi. And this is what he says in verse number 15. He says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Verse 16, he says, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And then he says this, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, 
supposing that they can hear this. Watch this. Suppose. He said, I already told you whatever. He said, so they think that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains? He says, they think that their talk about me and their criticism about me and their negativity about me will be the thing that makes me throw in the towel? And I just need, you need to know something. The closer you get to Jesus, the more people will talk about you. The more right you try to do for Jesus, the more negativity people will say about you. The more gossip will be spread, the more lies will be shared. And Paul says, you think you're going to stir up trouble for me while I'm walking through what I'm walking through? And watch what he says in verse number 18. He says it like this. He says, what does it matter? He said, what does it matter? If I could put it in my own words, he says, talk all you want to talk. It's not going to faze me because the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And then he says this, and because of this, I rejoice. There it is. No matter what, he says, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. He keeps the main thing the main thing. He's not going to let trivial stuff derail his focus. He's not going to let his feathers get ruffled easily. Can I just tell you this? Don't be so focused on the things that really don't matter. Don't be so focused on the stuff that really doesn't matter. I'm closing. Paul's bad days followed him. It wasn't just one prison. It was multiple incarcerations. His life was filled with a difficulty. But Paul decided to choose joy no matter what. And they said, we're going to lock you up again, Paul. And he said, do it. I'll get another soldier saved. Oh, well, well, if locking you up isn't enough, they said this. They said, we'll kill you. And this is what he said, would you? I'm going to show you. He said, would you? Because I've had this dilemma. He says, I, 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 don't, I don't know which is better. Because he says, if you let me live, then it's in Christ. But if I die, then it's the game. He says, as a matter of fact, go ahead and kill me now. Because you will answer the dilemma that I can't figure out on my own. He says, because every day you let me live, I'm going to preach Jesus. I'm going to tell the whole world how good God is. But if you take my life, then I get to see the one that I've been preaching about. So if you let me live, I win. If you kill me, I win. And I want you to know this, church, because this is so important, that when you know Christ, you are in a win-win situation. If you live, you win. If you die, you win. Come on, if we're going to clap, let's do it wholeheartedly. No matter what. So, no matter what I face tomorrow, if I'm alive, I'm winning in Jesus. But if I walk out of this room and I breathe my last breath, then I'll stand before my maker. And I hope to hear these words. Well done. You've been good and faithful. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Yeah. You win. You win. 30 seconds. When Kimberly and I got married, one year after we exchanged our vows, they diagnosed me with a gastrointestinal stroma tumor. This tumor was eating my inside. I turned jaundice. I had multiple blood transfusions. I was dying. I was dying. 
We were on vacation in Florida when I collapsed in the backseat of my sister's SUV. They took me to the University of South Florida, Tampa General Hospital at USF. I went into the emergency room and the doctor said, you won't leave until we figure out what's going on. I remembered staying there more days than I'd like to be there. They, they took out over a foot and a half of my intestines to save my life. And I remember laying in that hospital room and hearing the enemy say, you're going to die. You're going to die. And there was such a holy boldness that rose up on the inside of me. And I said, would you? Because this world is not my home. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I didn't want to live. I'm just saying that I wasn't going to let the fear of death grip me in that moment. And I put the devil on notice. Look, if this sickness is what takes me on, then I'll receive an immortal body where there is no sickness and there is no pain. So I win. But I told the devil 15 years ago, God is my witness. I said, but if I live, you're in trouble. If I live, you'll regret that I lived because I'm coming at you, devil, with every fiber in my being, and I will not stop preaching Jesus until he does call me home. And can I tell you, watch this, I gotta go, I gotta go. Watch this, within a few days, they rolled in this young kid named DJ. DJ was in a gang, he was shot in the chest by an opposing gang, and he ended up in my same room. We shared a room together. So he's on life support. I'm not on full life support, but my life is being supported to stay alive. And they rolled him in, and me and DJ began to have a conversation. And within a moment, I said, you know what, DJ, do you know Jesus? And he said, I don't. And I said, DJ, you need to give your heart to the Lord. And side by side, one bed to the other, black and white, we held hands, and I led DJ in the sinner's prayer. Come on now. And I told the Lord, for me to live is in Christ, but to die is gain. So whatever, whatever, I choose joy. Come on and say amen. Both campuses, stand to your feet. Come on. Give Jesus the best praise you've got. Come on. Praise him in the middle of your storm. Praise Him in the middle of your mess. Come on, come on, come on. Praise Him in the middle of uncertainty and circumstances out of your control. Come on. Hallelujah. So here's the question, and I'm walking off the stage. Are you choosing joy no matter what?